Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, Sean Barker. And me, Sam Davis. And we are recording this on a very special day. It's a day we've been talking about for a while. It's the day when the people finally get to place their vote. What's the decision going to be? It's going to have huge ramifications in the future. That's correct. The AFC Bournemouth retro shirt poll is now live on our website. (laughs) And there was me thinking you were referring to uh, that small thing that's going on in America right now. But sure, no, you weren't. The retro shirt poll. Yeah, well, so go to afcbpodcast.com slash retro and vote on your favorite old school cherries shirt what we're going to be doing is sending the winners into the club and you never know you might be able to don one of the winning kits very soon by picking it up from the club shop exciting stuff will your shirt trump the rest of them no okay sorry bad pun anyway this week It sadly wasn't the result we wanted, but over the next hour, we're going to aim to bring some light relief to your ears and aim to banish those black cat blues. So here's what's coming up. (music) 
Michael Dunn was at the Vitality on Saturday as Sunderland donned their mask and swag bag and came away with a 2-1 win. He brings us his full match report, plus we get your thoughts on the game and then Sean and I will give our views on proceedings too. I'll be bringing you the latest news from Dean Court and although it's now International Week, there's still a fair bit going on so I'll be making sure you're all up to date. And then you may have heard on episode 22, I began my search for Frank Rolling. Now, I did give myself a seven-day window originally, and you'll have heard on the subsequent episode how unsuccessful my search was for for the French hero. Now, we're here at episode 25, so you'd think I surely would have managed to get something from him. Well, I'll update you with where I'm at. I doubt you've got in contact with him, but we'll wait and see. Anyway, on this episode, we'll also be announcing the winner of our FIFA 17 competition. And Sam will be picking a winner out of the hat as we gave away a copy for the PlayStation 4. Good luck and thank you to everyone who entered. Ah, and we'll also give you a little bit of info about a yet another back of the net giveaway. Another one! Oh my goodness. Well, of course... We're going to preview the next Cherries match too. It seems like an age away. It's on the 19th against Stoke City at the Britannia Stadium. Now, there's no do you remember this week as Rob Frank is away on a jolly in Hong Kong. Uh, 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 sorry, I mean a work trip, a work trip in Hong <laughs> Kong. So uh, he'll be back hopefully next week. But before all of that, let's take you back to last weekend and that defeat to Sunderland. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Well, to be honest, I would rather not after our beloved Cherries lost 2-1 to 10-man Sunderland in a match that even the opposition fans considered to be a home banker prior to kick-off. With Andrew Sermon unavailable, Eddie Howe unsurprisingly brought Dan Gosling into central midfield. There were considerably more gasps at the absence of Callum Wilson on the team sheet, although those of us who bumped into him at the mini-kickers session on the training pitches on Saturday morning already had embargoed knowledge of his hamstring injury. Mackham's fans had left the North East at 5am and it's quite possible a handful of them have been on the source since then as they staged an excruciatingly disrespectful sing-song during the pre-match remembrance silence. That nauseating episode aside, the atmosphere was unusually flat in the opening half, as was Bournemouth's performance. Despite dominating possession and creating a few chances, we looked surprisingly disorganised when Sunderland came into our half. The ever-popular Jermaine Defoe received the majority of the attention from Simon Francis and Steve Cook, leaving the pacey Duncan Watmore and Man Mountain Victor and each being considerably more space than they may have expected. These concerns appeared to be in irrelevance when our Cherries took the lead on 11 minutes. An impressive passing move saw Junior Stanislas unlock Black Cat's defence with a diagonal pass to the advancing Adam Smith, who whipped the ball into the six-yard box where Dan Gosling demonstrated his versatility in front of goal by scoring with his abdomen. With David Moyes' side enduring such a torrid start to the season, there wasn't a spectator inside Dean Court who didn't now expect anything other than a home win for the Cherries. Jack Wilshire was pulling the strings in midfield, and along with Adam Smith and Junior Stanislas, he orchestrated a couple of intricate passing moves which looked sure to extend our lead sooner rather than later. 
It was not to be, as the closest we came was when Junior found the side netting from a tight angle and Josh King drew a diving save from England hopeful Jordan Pickford at his far post. We continued to look vulnerable at the back and on 33 minutes, to the delight of their long-suffering fans, Sunderland were level. Defoe found the Nietzsche with his back to goal inside the penalty area and Simon Francis seemed to bounce off the Scouse Nigerian international as he fell to the floor and allowed Anichibi to turn and fire a powerful left foot finish into the roof of Arthur Boritz's net. This unexpected deviation from the script raised the visitors' spirits, and but for a last-ditch Simon Francis block from Jermaine Defoe and the linesman's flag preventing Duncan Watmore from claiming the finishing touch to a movie he had instigated in his own half, our cherries would have been trailing at half-time. It was more of the same after the break, Stanislas almost headed into his own net when attempting to defend a Patrick Van Arnold free kick and after Simon Francis' misplaced pass found Stephen Pienaar, Didier Ndong's Zuta was parried by a retreating Boritz. Benikafobid replaced the underperforming Jordan Iber at half-time but there was little change in the momentum of the contest until fortune favoured our heroes in red and black just before the hour mark. Pienaar raked his studs down junior Stanislas's shin pad and with Harry Arter giving the always baffling Mike Dean the full benefit of his interpretation of the rule book, the referee showed Pienaar a second yellow card to reduce the Black Cats to ten men. We then launched a series of elaborate attacks on Pickford's goal in an attempt to make our numerical advantage pay dividends. Gosling released Stanislas on the left of the six-yard box, and our winger looked certain to score, but his coolly taken efforts swerved onto the upright at the very last moment with the faithful already on their feet. Junior then joined Wilshire in a rapid-fire exchange of short passes before the Arsenal loanee saw his shot blocked by Lamina Kone. Josh King was next to come within an inch of giving us the lead, his hit from close range careering off Billy Jones. Frustration was growing on and off the pitch, and when Adam Smith's poorly struck cross gave rise to catcalls from the Steve Fletcher stand, our right-back appeared to gesture his disappointment with the crowd's reaction. Moments later, there were even louder groans in Smudge's direction when, after Defoe and Watmore had combined to release the Nietzsche in Sunderland's first meaningful attack since the sending off, Smith felled the giant centre forward, giving Mike Dean no option but to award a penalty. With Defoe placing the ball on the spot, there was very little doubt about the outcome despite Boris's impressive record of penalty saves, and the former Dean Court superstar duly buried his effort from 12 yards, but still had enough composure to stage a low-key celebration whilst his current team's fans were spilling onto the pitch in unbridled delight. Another round of near misses followed at the other end, with Pickford starring for the visitors. It appeared a phobia could not miss when the ball found its way to him following a penalty box melee, but our number nine again drew a blank when somehow shooting just wide. Pickford pulled off the save of the match from Josh King, clawing the Norwegian's thumping effort away with his right paw after a phobia had nodded Wilshire's high ball perfectly into his path. Lise Mousset, who had replaced an on-edge Harry Arter soon after Defoe's goal, saw another chance deflected inches wide and Ryan Fraser's cross shot from a free kick landed on top of the Sunderland net. All in all, an extremely bad day at the office which, combined with the defeat at Middlesbrough last week, sees us go into the never-welcome international break with heavy hearts when all appeared to be going wonderfully well less than a fortnight ago. Covering the weekend's game, that was Michael Dunn, and you can follow him on Twitter at All Departments. And ugh, another bad result against a side from the Northeast. Not good at all. Us Bournemouth fans don't like a loss, do we? And it all kicks off on Twitter, and there's also a severe lack of puns. So credit this week goes to Steve Wright for being the only one to pull something out of the bag with 
black cats prove unlucky for the cherries. But on to the fan thoughts, and this week you'll be hearing from Big T. You'll hear a bit of myself from our brand new YouTube series. More about that later. And you'll also hear from Sunderland fan Hayden. Plus, we hear from the man who cannot pronounce Stanislas. And hello to Matt Hills, who pointed out that he was at it again this weekend. Paul Merson, ladies and gentlemen. Now, as for songs, well... We had a few suggestions, including Road Cherry with How Did We Lose It by Lucas Sapio, and also Missing from Everything But The Girl. Steve Wright said Phil Collins, I Missed Again. But the song we're going to go with this week, not least because it's a cracking track from the 90s band Monaco, is from Mr. Tiggs on Twitter. And as Benicophobe sliced another shot wide, he seemed to look despairingly at the crowd with his hands open wide as if to suggest... What do you want from me? Which is the title of this track. What do you want from me? A goal, Benick. Just a goal. Benicophobia would struggle to finish a packet of mini cheddars, wouldn't he? And what about those bozos at the back? My pumpkins at my neighbour's house could have done a better job than them. What a load of rubbish. What do you want from me? It's not how it used to be. You've taken my life away. I was just on TalkSport 2 just a minute ago, chatting to Danny Gavidon and Ian Danter. I'm a bit unlike the Twitterati, and yes, our defending was a bit suspect. However, I kind of feel as though the fact that we didn't take our chances, that's more of a, a cause for complaint, because the two goals they effectively scored were down to individual defensive errors. Finally, I'll tell you what, it's... It's been a long time coming, but finally we're in November and we've got our first Premier League victory. And it, we didn't half make it difficult, did we? Happy to see, um, relieved is the main word. It was such a stressful game to watch, especially down to 10 men. Then we got the penalty. I was still saying I'd take a draw, but we'll get the win is massive. Um, shows a lot of character, and I'm just hoping that we show that character throughout the season and you know, steal by the skin of our teeth, please. Bournemouth, Eddie Howe were probably looking, he'd probably think they'd switched off. When they had a player sent off Pienaar, they got caught cold at the back, and that's where the penalty come from. Bournemouth, a lot of missed chances, paid the cost. Sunderland, two up front, say no more. So thank you very much, Mr. Michael Dunn, for the match report and everyone who contributed to the fan thoughts, including Hayden there, the Sunderland fan. Good to have the opposition view. There was one pun, as we discussed, and also uh, much appreciated for, for the fan thoughts. So, yep, yeah, 2-1 at the Vitality on Saturday and uh, a very depressing results and it's not very nice to talk about but um you know usually when we start these matches sean we start off with a lot of gusto and we press really early and we look as though we're up for it but it didn't sort of seem to happen did it on saturday 
Yeah, I know. It was that was kind of the disappointing start. Was after the game at Borough, and you kind of had to talk about the, from the players, which is you know, oh, Mid- Middlesbrough like the wake up and whatever else. I did think we were going to come out and really go from the off. And I mean, although we looked fairly comfortable, it's just right from the kickoff. They're just, as Michael said, there just seemed to be a, a slight flatness still, which, yeah, was just a bit puzzling to work out why that was the case and why we didn't come out really firing. Um, but then having said that, on 11 minutes, we scored the goal and, um, oh, the pass from Stanislas. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, it really was. The weight of it, more than anything else, was superb. And um, he could see, as soon as Stanislas had the ball, Smith was bombing on. You, I mean, as the camera was at the angle where you could see them both, you could just see that that was going to happen. But it was just the weight of the ball and then the pace of the Adam Smith cross. Uh, like I said on our YouTube channel, which we'll talk about later, it was delivered so well that it didn't even matter whether Gosling was going to touch it or not, really. But he did. I don't know if it came off his belly, his midriff, his stomach or whatever. But 1-0 started off well. And from that point, I was thinking 2-0, 3-0. What were you thinking? Were you thinking it was going to be a whitewash at that stage? Yeah, like I said, I still felt we we were fairly comfortable. And it was like, okay, we've broken them down early because you felt that they were going to try and hold out. Um, And yeah, again, we just kind of... We just flatlined, really. It was like, okay, we've got the goal. And I know we had a couple of other chances. There was the King chance where I actually think he snapped at that, snatched at that a little bit, the one that was kind of straight at Pickford. But, you know, we kind of broke them down a little bit there. And um, Jordan Ibe, um, I mean, I know Eddie said we need to be patient and he's just a kid or whatever. But the reality is he, he had an absolute shocker. I think I counted at least six incidences in the first half where he just gave the ball away. And it was like, if it was any other player on the park, I think the form that he's been in, he would have been out long before. And um, I understand why Eddie was keeping him in there, hoping he was going to kind of come good. I think really, I think we've made that point where, okay, now it's going to be flipped. I think he'll be on the bench and it will be come on with 20 to go and let's see if we can get your confidence and let's see if you can terrorize which we kind of tried to do with Max Gradle's performances this season and I don't think Mm. he's really taken his chance so I think it's a big uh, it's a big couple of months I think for Ibe and him him performing poorly in the first half it felt like we almost had 10 men out there yeah, he was running down blind alleys at times, and it, it was quite telling, actually. Not good for a radio audience, this, but as soon as you said Jordan Ibe, I sort of winced because I knew uh, what you were going to say, and it wasn't it wasn't a great performance by him. But Bournemouth did carve out a few opportunities. I mean, as as Michael said, you know, Stanislas had a, had a snatched effort. But then uh, Jermaine Defoe for Sunderland, he was obviously getting very frustrated with what was going on. You could see him uh, making hand gestures to his players, uh, you know, about the lack of service that he was getting. They were losing the ball in the middle. The high pressing from the Cherries midfield was, you know, was really good. And, you know, that three in the middle, even though Gosling sort of came in and was uh, new, so to speak, it was um, it was still really tight. But he then sort of came back into the middle to to try to sort of play a bit deeper and create his own opportunities. But it was actually... Jermaine Defoe that created Sunderland's first goal when he played it into a Nietzsche B, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was. And uh, when we played them last year, I remember Defoe was very much up front and isolated on his own. And I think they were just putting these high balls up to him, which he was never going to win. So, yeah, they kind of changed that around this year and had Anichibi up there with him. And you thought, oh, yeah, adventurous, too up front. But as you say, they just weren't getting the ball. So hence Defoe dropping deeper. He plays the ball into Anichibi and... Simon Francis has got to do better there. I mean, he's a big fella up front. He's got his arm out. He's strong. You can't dive in. You have to hold your ground. And, you know, when you watch it, especially when you watch the replay back, there was an opportunity, if Francis had stayed on his feet, to just shepherd him wider and wider because he was kind of going nowhere down that channel. And it was only once Francis is on his back, well, then there's an opening to smash it into the corner. But... It's another, we said it a lot, it was another poor goal to concede. And, of course, that's what they wanted. They wanted to get back into the game. And so we go in at halftime, 1-1. And, do you know, I had that in my head. I'm thinking, just get to halftime because in Eddie we trust and he's going to be able to have a chat to the team. He's going to be able to sort out any issues we've got. He's going to be able to give them that kick that maybe they needed to really fire second half. And then they come out and second half kicks off. And if anything, actually Sunderland kind of had more possession and for a little spell were bossing the game. Yeah, they did. I mean, that that was what it was like towards the end of the first. And they, and they carried that momentum on, really. And uh, I, I, I don't know, for me, when Sunderland did get their equaliser, I, I sort of thought it's going to be like Hull again. Because I thought, you know, we've been on the whole dominating this. I did want us to score before half time, but I thought that the uh, the first sort of uh, 15, 20 minutes in the second half would be really important. And, you know, the longer it sort of went on, um, the more I thought, hang on a sec, this isn't going to happen. Now on 55 minutes, um, that's when it started to change again because Sunderland were all over it. And then we had a we had a shot from Jack Wilshire and it, it seemed as though we were getting... Uh, sort of back into our groove and then only about five minutes later it was the sending off Sean and uh, what what happened there was it was it the challenge or was it the actual aftermath because it, it seemed that the referee was it Mike Dean I think it was he 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 gave the free kick and didn't brandish a card but then there was were some words exchanged and then all of a sudden that was it it was off yeah, when I, when I watch it back, yeah, you see Mike Dean seems very definite. He's got his arm up and he's very straight. There's no kind of look at his pocket. There's no arm going into the pocket, which does, yeah, let like you say, make you think that maybe there was a bit of um, something said or as some opposing fans have said, well, Bournemouth are so well trained and you watch Harry Arder and, and Stanislas immediately running to the ref saying his studs were up. And I mean, when you watch the replay back, it actually looks horrific because he's gone over the top of the ball and he's crashed on the side of the leg. So it was a, it was at least a yellow card. Um, if it, if he hadn't have been booked, I think we'd have been watching that replay back going, should have been a straight red. So yeah, in that respect, it was the right decision. It was just, yeah, what his thinking was. I don't think we really know. There are, there are lots of uh, teams that say going down to sort of 10 men almost sort of galvanizes the team performance. And I do agree with that. But for Sunderland, I thought never, never in a million years, they're going to absolutely fall apart. But they didn't. They hung in there, didn't they? And then they got the second. It was a pen, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And it was, I mean, they immediately, they pretty much pushed Anichibe and, and Defoe out wide and played this kind of 4-5 formation. It was like, okay, well, they're, they're not really going to make any effort other than 
you know, they're a Premier League side, and at some point, surely they'll make at least one chance. So their mm. their their motive was let's not concede and see if we can snatch one. And and I mean, it was attack versus defence, wasn't it? Really, from the sending off on, it was like a training ground exercise where they sat deep on the edge of their box. We just you know could dribble for thirty yards until we got into that last third, and then they'd engage with us. And we were knocking it around and whatever, but you just felt like, oh god, they're going to have at least one chance. We kind of were we a bit too gung ho and chucking too many back when they because when they did break on us for the goal, it it was yeah, it was like desperation times and Smith's chasing to try and get back again. He's dived in when probably he shouldn't have done. Having said that, if he hadn't have dived in, was an each of his next shot touch going to be a shot from? 10 yards and one-on-one, you know, so definite penalty. No one really complained as much as Boric has got his great record. Yeah, it was like, oh, maybe Jermaine will do us a favour. You know, doesn't like scoring against us. He's going to put it over the bar. But mm. but from that point on, there was still that sense because we had so many chances and so much possession. It was just a matter of, well, we're going to get a chance to score. And if we get one, I felt if we had scored to go two all, I still felt we would have run won the game. And I guess the, the thought I've got, and this is kind of happens in these kind of games, is we've created so many amazing mm. chances, right? The only thing we haven't done is is score. But does it mean we actually played well and we just need to take our chances? Or do we look at it and go, we were awful, we played terribly? Because did we play? It's one of those conundrums, isn't it? If a defence mm. plays terrible, and if we'd have got pumped four or five nil, or let's say the defence had a shocking day we'd be saying, surely, what an awful team performance. Flip it the yeah. other way round. We didn't score four or five, which we probably should have done. We've lost the game. So should we be saying it's an awful game or do we just need to take chances? Yeah, very interesting. I was reading some views on Twitter and some people were saying that the whole team had a shocker. I don't think that was the case. The goals that we conceded, are, in my opinion, were two individual mistakes. Frane went down too early and Smith, he made that rash challenge when uh, he could have done better. Um, so defensively, I don't I don't think um, it was our worst game by far. And, you know, I think there are still problems in defence, i.e., what we're going to do in the next game when Smith's out. I'm sure we'll be talking about that in our preview. But the team as a whole, I thought, you know, they played quite well considering uh, Dan Gosling came in. They forged out a number of chances, 22 shots on goal. The clinicality, if that's a word, Benikafobe, for instance. I mean, he had a number of chances to score. Jack Wilshire had a chance as well. Oh, I don't know. Um, I think to carve those opportunities is a good thing so I don't think it's necessarily bad yeah although you kind of got the impression towards the end of the game it was almost like players didn't want to shoot like it was it was one of those where it was you know there was times it was coming into the box and it was all a bit half-hearted because it was like oh no you shoot you shoot that person that's just going to go I'm going to take this and I'm going to win us this game I don't necessarily feel that was there from the striking options we had I mean Mousse came on and everyone's been saying we want to get see Mousse pretty tough for him. I mean, it's his first Premier League action and I think he looked off the pace, not through his own ability. I think just it's the first time he's ever experienced a Premier League game and he's, you know, he's not used to that intensity. So certainly the first couple of times he, when he finally did get on the ball, they were on him pretty quick and he lost it and didn't really have a huge impact yet with Benick. It's just the weight goes on. I mean, the one he side footed wide, 
I mean, it's just bad technique. Just put it in the net, man. You know, Stanislas, where he's hit the post, he's actually done most things right. He's opened his body up and whatever else. He's clearly gone to place it past the goalkeeper. Kings had that volley, which Pickford's oh. tipped over. And, ah, oh, I don't know. I think it was a pretty good save, but I think I think Pickford would have been disappointed if it you know, if it had gone in. I know some people are saying what a wonder save it was. It wasn't right in that top corner. He'd still fancy his chance of... Uh, saving it but again at least King had a snapshot but you know is King a, a real clinical finisher that finishes 95% of his chances no um yeah just interesting we're looking at you know you start going well January transfer window where are we going to strengthen it's like are we going to go out and look for another striker so we've tried Graben, we've tried a Fobe and yeah it's kind of mm. it's up, up for debate but in the end yeah <laughs> A frustrating way to go into the international break. So, just a you know, just a quick uh, question before we wind up and go into the club news. I mean, you've been around Sean for a while. You've been there through the highs and through the lows. How how do you feel personally after matches like that? Do you go into this kind of hysterical mode, like I've seen a few people on social media do, or have you got a uh, a more kind of a reasoned view after matches like that? Yeah, it's a bit. Um... I don't watch match of the day. I can tell you that. So, (laughs) you know, normally kind of, you know, watch match of the day. And I do have a, for for a couple of days, just a total disconnect from football. And I bumped into a friend of mine in the street who's a Man United supporter yesterday. And he was like, oh, what do you think about that Chelsea game? And I was like, do you know what? I haven't even seen the result. I just, just, (laughs) I just drift off for a little while. But I don't know. It's, I still find this Premier League thing a little bit, odd in that when you're ultimately playing to just you know if we stayed up I still think that that's for priority number one again as kind of as much as we want to push on you go are we good enough to get into Europe yet probably not are we going to be winning the league no so you still look at it and go well over the course of this season I still think we're we're way too good to go down and I don't have any concerns that we will he says touching as much wood as he can get his hand on um but um yeah it's um <laughs> i'll edit that bit out um, yeah, i've totally lost my train of thought well can i just say that um just to just to interrupt um just just as a as a quick aside eddie howe's always wanting to improve season on season and i feel as though matches like this uh, are gonna maybe increase his longevity at afc bournemouth because he says that he he wants to have a, a particular target in mind it's these kind of last couple of games that are the games that i think he feels as though he should be winning so i'm kind of hoping in the long run it may it may work out that eddie will stay with us longer um interestingly on twitter mr tiggs tweeted us and said about the whole game Good build-up play, but about as clinical as getting your ear pierced by Big Susie behind Greg's in Watford. Thank you very much, Tony. That was superb. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately maybe, it's international break. So Mr Barker, I hear, may have a bit of international news for us. AFC B-Club News. Wilshire's back with the Lions. Gareth Southgate watched two Cherries games in a row and it is now clear he was there to check in on the Arsenal lonely as he looked to get his international career back on track. 
And so the decision to come to Bournemouth appears to have paid off, as Jack Wilshire has been included in the England squad for the upcoming games versus Scotland and Spain. Southgate told FATV, It's been important for him to get regular football for Bournemouth and I've watched him a couple of times in the past couple of weeks. We know the quality he possesses and it's good for him to know we have belief in him and that we want him in the squad. Now just don't get injured, Jack. Moles know nothing as Harry looks set to lock in the greens. Contrary to strong stories from the back of the net moles, Harry Arter looks set to be named in the starting team for the Republic of Ireland this week, thus finally playing a competitive game for them, which then removes the opportunity to play for England. On last week's show, I think it was Sam, announced that we had heard there was a good chance Harry could switch to the three Lions, but either we've got the worst moles in the world, or there was a switch back to the Green of Ireland at the last minute. I'm guessing it was the former. You're fired. Is the stadium expansion back on track? An update on the website of Tanner and Tilly, the town planning and development consultants working with the club, has caused a stir of discussion amongst Cherry's fans online as to whether the stadium expansion is now progressing. All had gone quiet after the club said they were parking the idea, but the website updates seemed to imply that the reason for delaying was due to the council not being satisfied with the landscaping to help the expansion fit in with the look of the park's surroundings. However, Tanner and Tilly are hopeful that this issue has now been resolved and approval can be given in the November planning committee meeting. Interestingly, the page on their website that had all this info has since been deleted since being passed around on the forum, and to date there has been no statement from the club. The plot thickens. AFC B Club News. So that's the latest from the Vitality Stadium. Thanks, Mr. Barker. And interesting, you talk about these moles um, and you say, I was the one that said it. Now, Sean, that's not the done thing to say because I definitely wasn't the person that uh, that mentioned that. But um, I actually find it really sad that he's going to be playing for Ireland because I would love to see Harry playing for England. But also interesting news there about the stadium and the press release on the Tanner Tilly website to me I don't know if I can believe a company called Tanner Tilly reminds me a little bit of Bodger and Badger there but interesting news about the stadium yeah I mean it it's a bit odd it might not be a story at all or it might be a story um it was picked up yeah by um someone on the forum sorry I haven't got the name but um well done whoever it was that spotted that they had updated the website, but then why did they then delete the page? That's kind of like, well, is there something a bit more to it? And so, yeah, I think, again, and I think this is where the club need to be with their communications is, you know, is Bournemouth fans 
jump on this kind of stuff pretty quickly because it's you know the, the history of the supporters is we've we've had to be so involved with the club in the past whether it was with fundraising or whether it was with volunteer or community trust whatever it is so there is a deep um connection with the club so anything like that is picked up on and and maybe you could argue that with the bigger clubs uh, maybe people have been a bit more diluted to news but the fact it got deleted yeah makes me think huh um, I guess, yeah, I mean, with the with the Cherries Trust, you know, being set up now and, you know, grown their membership, some people are saying, well, maybe those guys can step in. And, and I, I certainly think they are. And I think there's there's going to be some discussions. And actually, maybe we should get the Cherries Trust back on the show um, at some point and maybe get a bit of an update on what's going on. Yeah, we heard from the Cherries Trust originally when they set up, and uh, you can go back through our archives to have a listen because we had a had a chat with Stu Bramley. But yeah, certainly would be very good to get them back on the show very soon. But moving on now, Sam, I felt like last week's show you dodged a bullet because if you remember correctly, on last week's show it was meant to be part two of the search for Frank Rolling. Now. You didn't mention it at all, and the show just kind of passed by with not a mention <laughs> of the Frenchman. Good rhyming. Um, but anyway, I'm going to hold you to task now. You said it was going to be seven days, and that was all it was going to take for you to get something from Frank Rolling. Your first attempt, I mean, basically was a, a Facebook message, and that was it. But <laughs> it's time to front up Sam Davis. And uh, so let's find out, listeners, did... Sam Davis tracked down the elusive Frank Rolling. So, my search for Frank Rolling has been somewhat unsuccessful so far. I Facebooked him, and despite the two ticks icon to suggest that he's read it, he hasn't responded to me. So, I've now gone plan B. This week, I've sent him a message via LinkedIn, and I've also gone around the houses to find out his personal Gmail address too. And I sent him an email. Now, I did this about three hours ago, and let's just refresh the inbox. Oh, I've got an email! Oh, Viagra and Cialis. Hmm. No, no response just yet. Now, most people would have given up by now, but not I. I will see this through. It's not like I'm stalking him, is it? Surely not. Anyway, I was doing some more Googling in the week, and after typing in his name, I actually scrolled down as far as the second page of results on Google. Who does that? I certainly do. And I saw a website entitled The Search for Frank Rolling. That's right, the same title that we use for this feature. I hope it's not copyrighted. Anyway, this site seems to be from a Leicester City fan who is using the blog to tell stories of players gone by, Frank being one of them. But why is the whole website called The Search for Frank Rolling? Why not call it something generic like Finding Foxes or The Leicester Investigator? No, that doesn't work, does it? So earlier this week, I sent an email to the author, who did get back to me. He said, Frank is a mystery. I've tried to contact him so many times, but he just hasn't responded. My friend requests have been ignored, and we just wanted to get him for a couple of minutes to have a word with. Yeah, know the feeling, mate. Whilst I haven't updated the blog in a while, my search does continue, and I won't give up until I'm done. So great. 
It turns out I'm not only in a fight to prove to Sean that I can do this, but I'm also competing with another guy to get Frank first, so I decided to step on the gas. My first step was to paste his email address into iMessage. Now, if you know iMessage, you can use email addresses as well as phone numbers. If it turns blue, it effectively means I'm texting the guy. That didn't work. And I've also done a bit of a scout around, and I found a phone number for him at his work address. Now, obviously it's a French number, so it's plus three three. So, if my online efforts don't result in anything this week, then I'm going to be ringing him on next week's show. My worry is that he's going to think I'm a little bit weird. I've Facebooked him, I've tweeted, I've emailed, I've sent a message via LinkedIn, and I've sent him a message via his work Facebook page as well. No response whatsoever. Ah. Incidentally, as I've been speaking, I've just found him on Skype as well. Do I? Nah. Maybe we'll try that as last resort. Well, Sean... You can't say I haven't tried. Ooh, I've had an email. <gasps> Frank Rolling! It, and it's got an attachment! Oh my goodness, please tell me. Play. Bonjour, my name is Frank Rolling, and you're listening Back of the Net. Get in! Sean's gonna be proud of me. Oh yes! <laughs> oh, go on, just one more time. Bonjour, my name is Frank Rolling, and you're listening Back of the Net. <laughs> Très bien, Samuel. Très bien. I cannot believe we actually had Frank Rolling on the show. I would like to think that Frank actually saw the email and the messages the first ever time that I sent it, but he was just sat outside a cafe, chomping on a baguette with some boisson and a nice glass of Cote de Rhone, and he thought, oh, I have an email, I must action that sometime soon. And I love the way that he actually is so so French and so casual, he doesn't even have to say the word to, he just says, you're listening, back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy! Yeah, that's great stuff. And uh, thank you, Frank, for getting involved. And um, I think I think we need to go a bit deeper with this relationship. I think we need to get a, a, an interview with Frank because I, I, you know, I want to find out. Looking back now, how does he feel about that Wembley game and missing out? And so many questions for the man. So we may get Frank on again, but for now, Sam, you can say case closed. Yes, I'm really chuffed, and he actually did give me his phone number, although he was so casual, he got it wrong the first time, and he sent me another one to say, sorry, the last digit should be a three and not a nine. I thought, oh, I love you, Frank. I love you so casual. So anyway, born with a back in action, and it's oh, 11 days away. We've got, to, we've got to sit through England, Scotland. That should be quite entertaining, but yeah, it's on the 19th. We travel to the Britannia Stadium, or whatever it's called now. Is it still called that i don't know but we're going to stoke on the 19th and it was the fateful venue where that incident happened to callum last season so don't want any repeats of that but we're going to be a bit changed because adam smith is out he of course picked up his fifth booking at the weekend so there's going to be a bit of a change um sean i 
I've got no idea what Eddie Howe's going to do. Have you, have you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting selection, I think, for a couple of reasons. One is, um, obviously, Sermon has been injured and, you know, Eddie said that, look, it's going to be a little while, but maybe the international break's going to be enough and he's going to be back. But having said that, I actually think Gosling played pretty well uh, in the last game. So he got dropped for Sermon after the illness where Gosling played pretty well. So does he stick with Gozza? Uh, yeah, the defence, that's um, potentially it's, I know it's it, it's bad because Smith's missing and I think he's been playing really well, but it kind of forces the decision to make a change to that back four, which lots of people at various points of this season have been crying out for. So we are mm. going to see a change. Um, yeah, but is it Aki, who did very well at centre-back in the cup game? Or do we see Mings? Do they come in at centre-back? Does Frano push to the right? You know, it's... Uh, but then people have been saying, well, Daniels needs to make a, you know, dropped and for Mings to come in. I I can't see him yeah. changing 50% of the back four for this game. So I think if there were any form doubts about Daniels, my gut reaction is, is that he's going to remain because Eddie's not going to want to do a big shake-up. In which case, there's just going to be that one. Uh, yeah, what do you think about the the back four? Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. Now, I've always thought that Freno is actually as great as he's adapted to centre back uh, over the sort of season and the last season. I do think his best position is right back. So I would like to see someone else come in, but then I don't know to have 50% of I mean I know it happens but it it seems such a crucial position for someone new to come into um someone who's relatively I mean even you know even Ake what's he had he's he's had barely a half I honestly don't know what he's going to do to be honest um I know that there's players like Mark Wilson and stuff but then he's not even been named on the bench so for for the first time I'm absolutely clueless and it's not it's not it's not going to be easy against Stoke because I'm going to talk about their form in a minute. But have you got any thoughts? Any thoughts? Who can come in? Well, yeah, and it's interesting. Let us know what you think on Twitter or via Facebook. Um, and then you go to the front three and let's go, OK, Ibe's going to come out. It would be my pick. And so then you've got Stanislas one side. You've got King on the other but then who's your top striker? If Wilson's still out injured, we don't know how bad, what extent of his injury. So does a Fobe stay and you go, look, mate, you just need to stick the ball in the back of the net. Or are we going to keep King up the top? And he seems to have been liking bringing on Fraser. So do we go Stanislas and Fraser? And it's, well, it's just, yeah, it's conundrums. I think there's only one person that we need to bring back. He knows how to hit the target. A goal machine, Sam Surridge, bring her back from Pool Town. He's got a hat trick at the weekend against Chelmsford. They won 4 0 and he scored three. Bring him back, goal machine. No, but seriously. Callum Wilson, uh, it, it, it all depends how bad his injury is. Um, it was great, by the way, to see Mark Pugh back on the bench. Um, we would love to see him get some kind of minutes because he can always do a job. Yeah, and actually, going back to the game, I was with, with Sunderland sitting so deep. I actually thought this that was a good opportunity for Pew because, you know, one of the things we say of Pew is well, he hasn't got the pace to get past defenders. But when defenders are sat on the edge of their own box, that's where Pewy can unlock that 
cross or through ball. So I was surprised, actually, um, that Pugh didn't get the nod. And I think that actually would have also given an injection to the crowd and a kick up the bum that that some supporters say that the uh, Dean Court faithful need uh, sometimes, Jamie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that, so that was surprising. So I don't know. I, I don't expect Pew to come in, to be honest. But there's definitely decisions to be made. And, and of course, with the international break, <sighs> no, who knows? Is Jack going to get some minutes for England? Is he going to get through those minutes? Because he's becoming more and more important so lots of uh, I think from our side lots of decisions to be made but yeah Sam just give us your knowledge on Stoke Stoke well their form has really picked up uh, considerably now their last loss in the league was in September that was September the 18th they lost 4-1 at Crystal Palace it was quite a it was quite a rough time for them actually because they had uh, the previous week they'd lost 4-0 at home to Spurs but since then um, in the Premier League, one all at home against West Brom, one all away against Man United, 2-0 win at home against Sunderland, 2-0 away against Hull, 3-1 at home against Swansea, one all away against West Ham. And I know you're probably looking at this thinking, West Ham, Swansea, Hull, Sunderland, they're not exactly big teams, but then Nora Middlesbrough and Nora Sunderland. And we know what happened with the Cherries with them over the last two weeks. So they're in good form, but I don't know. To me, it kind of is the run that at one at some point will come to an end, and I think it could be against us. So, I think I think we can get a win out of this, you know, Sean. And I'm going to go for two one. I don't think it's going to be a goal fest or anything or anything like that, but I certainly think that we can come away um, with a win. And I'm fancying Mark Pugh to get on the score sheet. Oh wow, we Dreamland Sam Davis in Dreamland reporting live. Um, for me, so, I yeah. uh, I played the game on FIFA 17 on the PlayStation 4. Coming up very, very soon, we will be doing that draw live to see who wins a copy. Ooh. And on my game, I was playing on World Class. Steve Wright did ask me what level I was playing on. Suffered a 2-1 defeat. Oh, man. Which, which, to be fair, I think I probably... If I was being optimistic, I'd say one all. Um, but... I'm going to stick in the hands of the computer world. 2-1 to Stoke. I'm afraid the run continues. Bonjour. My name is Frank Rowling and you're listening Back of the Net. There he is again, that cheeky French scamp. Love him to bits. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Frank. We're just going to use that all the time. <laughs> now, though, it is time for the big prize draw. So over the last few weeks, thanks to EA Sports, we've been running a competition on our social media platforms to win a copy of FIFA 17 for the PlayStation 4. And so we did a review of the game and then uh, the last couple of weeks people have been retweeting and commenting and doing all that stuff. And now is the time where we're going to pick a winner. So Sam, you're the techie guy. It's over to you. 
Yeah, so what we've done is we've taken everyone who has retweeted and what we asked you to do was to tag on Facebook as well. So we've done that. We've put everyone's name here into a random name generator. I was thinking about getting a big sheet of A1 paper, cutting it into about 500 million different pieces, but I thought that's going to take too long. So here we go. The name list is in. Let's hit the button. And we have a winner. And, oh, it looks like a Bournemouth fan. The winner is Dave Witt. Dave Witt, well done, monsieur. Ooh, congratulations. So, Dave Witt, you have won yourself a copy of FIFA 17 for the PlayStation 4. Thanks very much to our friends at EA Sports. So we will get that game on the way to you soon. We'll send you a message. And if you weren't lucky enough to win the competition, then obviously FIFA 17 is in stores now. And I'd recommend you go and grab a copy and then take me on online. I've had a few offers and I, I feel like I'm ready now to start smashing some people at FIFA 17. So get in contact. Let's have a game. And well done, Dave. Yeah, brilliant stuff, Dave. So there are more giveaways on the way. And Sean, is that? Can you just can you just pan your camera down a minute? Because I've I've got a yeah, you're wearing it. It's the Eddie Had a Dream T-shirt, and we've got one to give away. Now, if you don't know, Back of the Net, of course, is a podcast, but it's also its own global televisual conglomerate. Basically, I'm telling you, we've got a YouTube channel. So after the end of every Cherries game, within a couple of hours, we upload a video onto YouTube. The channel, if you need to find it, is youtube.com slash podcast. And we give our instant views on the game. And we'd also welcome your opinions too. So feel free to tweet us during the game because we will mention your tweets too. So it's a bit knee-jerk. And then a few days later, Sean and I come together and have a more considered view of the match. But all you've got to do, if you're loving those videos, just press subscribe. Because anyone who subscribes to the channel is in with a chance to win one of our glorious Eddie Had a Dream t-shirts. We'll keep the competition open for a few weeks. But do press subscribe because it means all of our videos will come straight into your inbox whenever we upload one. Good stuff. And also, don't forget, we mentioned at the start of the show that the Retro Bournemouth shirt poll is now live on the website, which is afcbpodcast.com forward slash retro. So on last week's show, we did speak to Gareth Davies, who is a kit guru and also writes for the programme. He's been in discussions with the club. This is just give you an update in case you didn't hear last week. And the club are open to us running this poll. So we've got 10 classic Bournemouth shirts online for you to vote your top three. Once all the votes are in, the top three selections are going to be given to the guys at the club shop and the guys at the club in the communications department. And they're going to see the results. And there's, I'm just going to say, there's a very good chance that at least one of them could be made in the next batch of shirts made by Score Draw, the company that put all the retro shirts currently available in the club shop together. So do um, tell as many fans as you can um, online or just down the pub, and let's get voting so that we can get the purple away. Uh, 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 the <laughs> democratic selection. It's rigged. It's rigged. It's rigged. Oh, I've heard that somewhere else before. But yeah, so we will get the uh, results after. Well, we'll let it run for a fair while, eh? 
yeah and uh if you you know even if you're maybe of a younger age do just even check out the page and just check out some of our astounding kits if i'm gonna just um i'm gonna make an opinion here i love that black and blue striped shirt it was absolutely gorgeous yeah, that one's a nice one too. So, yeah, so it is a big day. This is recorded on the day of, uh, as well as the retro poll going live, of course, the American elections. By the time you hear this show, the decisions have probably been made. I'm here in New Zealand and we're we're a day ahead. So we already know the answer of who won, but I won't tell you. But, uh, yeah, England, you're going to need to wake up tomorrow to the news. Yeah, so other than that, it is now the international break so we will not be doing a show for two weeks because we're not going to do one after the england games because who knows what's going to happen there maybe you'll watch it um so we will be back after the stoke game so just so we're very clear there will be no shows for two weeks we're not being lazy it's just the way it is so we will be back with our free podcast after the soak city game but we thank you very much for listening to the show over the last however long it's taken to get to this point and you have been listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.